Wow, it is great to be here. I love those songs. Thank you to all of you. I'm so glad that you've chosen to be here, whether you're here in person or whether you're watching from somewhere around the world online. If you are watching somewhere, we would love to hear from you. You can just let us know in the chat box, and we would love to just be able to celebrate that you have, have joined us today. We are on the countdown right now, getting ready to celebrate a hundred-year birthday for our church. And, and I hope that you're planning to be here. It'll be on Saturday the 2nd and Sunday, October the 3rd. There's going to be so many great things happening. I hope that you've circled it on your calendar. We're going to have games. We're going to have food. We're going to have lots of fun things for the kids to do. So your kids are going to be begging you not to leave. They're going to be wanting to stay longer. This is going to be a wonderful time of celebrating what God has done in our church family over the past century. So here are some things that you can do. First of all, we need volunteers to help us get the building ready. And so, you know, we've had a year of COVID where there was hardly anybody up here. There's chairs, there's tables, there's things that need to be done. And so what we would suggest is that either maybe you as a family or maybe a small group or maybe a Bible class that you could sign up to just take one set of rooms or one room or one project. Now, you can, you can uh, sign up online, but it might be easier if you walk out on that hallway that goes to the chapel. We've got some pieces of paper up there that talk about what jobs need to be done and you can just sign it now you can come up here make arrangements with Kyler to come up and get the work done at, at, at some time on your own or if you'd like to join a, a time where lots of people are going to be up here that'll be Saturday September the 25th but we would like to have all these projects done by the last day of September as we move into our hundredth birthday celebration Another thing, you can find a lots of information online on our webpage. So if you know of someone that would, would uh, like to know more, you can send them to the webpage. You can also register online so that we can know how much food to prepare for on Saturday. That would be very helpful. And so you can go and do that online as well. But the last thing I would like to just uh, encourage you to do is I would like for you to help us get the word out. And one of the best ways that we can do that is to utilize your social media account. Now, earlier today, I challenged the first service to do this, and Buck and Sally Henderson came up, and look what they did. They took their picture here on the set, and I can guarantee you this is going to be sent out around the world. The Aggie family around the world is going to know that we are celebrating our 100th anniversary, uh, and they're going to invite everyone. So maybe you can come and have a similar picture, make your own set right here. But let's utilize Twitter, let's utilize Facebook, Instagram, whatever social media that you have. I would love to, to encourage you to do that just to help us get the word out. And if people can't come, we know that they can join us in prayer, thanking God for the hundred years of the past and also praying for God to use us in this community and around the world to glorify his name for years to come in the future. We're starting a three-week sermon series today. It's called Looking Back and Moving Forward. 
Zach, thank you for those communion thoughts that, that encouraged us to never forget, to continually go back and remembering, remember these important things that build up our, our spiritual faith and our, help us in our walk. And so for the past, uh, sorry, for the next three weeks, we're going to look back and see how God has worked in the hundred years of the past. But we're also going to see how the story of our church family fits into a much larger story, and that's the story of God's mission and plan for redeeming our world. You know, stories are powerful, and they're important tools for developing our identity and shaping our character. I remember growing up and hearing stories of my family. I've got a lot of kinfolk right here in the middle, and you may have heard the story too. My mom's dad. When I grew up, I remember hearing stories of how he was in the farm implement business. And he made a lot of purchases for inventory right before the Depression hit. And then the Depression hit. And I can remember stories being told about how my granddad went to those he owed money to. And he says, I want you to know I am going to pay you back. I'm not going to declare bankruptcy. Just give me time. I'm a man of my word. And the message to me growing up was that our family, our family, we are people of our word. I remember hearing stories about my dad's father, my granddad, my paternal granddad, who, who didn't get to study in school very many years. I think maybe the sixth or maybe even the eighth grade was as far as he got. He took a job at an oil refinery and he worked there. He worked hard there so that his children would have an opportunity to go to college. Oh, I love that. I loved hearing those stories. But the message to me was, in our family, we value hard work and sacrifice. You see, these stories had an impact on me. I've talked to marriage counselors, and I've asked them, how, is, how, do, you, how do you counsel a couple that's on the brink of divorce? that are ready to give up on marriage. What do you say? How do you even start? And time after time, I've been told one of the first things we do is we ask them to go back and remember and tell what it was that made them fall in love, what it was that attracted them to each other, what it was to go out on that first date and tell about their wedding ceremony because going back and remembering can also help spark a desire for reconciliation. You see, stories and remembering things in the past, they help shape the future. So it's true. Stories are powerful and important tools for developing our identity and shaping our character. And what's true for us as individuals 
is also true for us as a church family. And so today I want to look at two stories, two powerful stories that remind us of who we are and why we are here. Our first story this morning comes from the book of Acts chapter 2, and it's likely a very familiar story to you. You may want to open your Bibles. It's chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And here the historian Luke, he writes about something exciting, something impactful that happened on the day of Pentecost. He says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all, or the disciples, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. It starts off on the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2 we read, about the beginning of the church here on the day of Pentecost, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit and the sound of this, this rushing wind, the tongues of fire that came and how God spoke to them in languages, through, through languages that they had not learned. But we often think of Pentecost as a Christian celebration. 50 days after the Passover, Sabbath, the day when the church was born. But this, the history of this celebration actually goes back for over 1,200 years. And the Jewish people call this celebration Shavuot. And it was the celebration of the harvest. And it became one of the three festivals that the people of Israel would travel to Jerusalem for each year and they would celebrate together. Now, notice here in Leviticus the timing of when this festival would be celebrated. From the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, count off seven full weeks, count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. From wherever you live, bring two loaves made of two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour, baked with yeast as a wave offering of the first fruits to the Lord. Shavuot was primarily an agricultural family, uh, festival. However, very early in Jewish history, it took an even greater significance. You see, the rabbis, they began to, to look at the calendar and they started counting days and they realized that Passover was when the Jewish nation left slavery in Egypt and they were in the Sinai Desert, but the Feast of Shavuot was it, the time that it, co it coincided with the time that the Israelites were there at Mount Sinai. A time when God came down from heaven and began to dwell with men in the tabernacle. The time when, when God entered into a covenant with men and women, the nation of Israel. All that took place in Sinai. 
And so they learned that Moses on Mount Sinai, the Jewish feast of Shavuot, and the celebration of Pentecost, they all took place around the same time for over 1,200 years. So I'm thinking back to Acts chapter 2 and the day of Pentecost, and all the disciples were there together in one place. And I'm wondering, well, what is it they're thinking about? They're remembering. They're remembering God coming down from heaven, entering into the tabernacle to make his dwelling there. They're remembering this covenant that God had made with his people and this new purpose that God's people had. And it was at that time when they heard the sound of the wind that they saw the fire, the tongues of fire, It was at that time that they began to be filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in languages that they had not learned. It was at that time that God came and indwelt in their hearts through the Holy Spirit. You see, God wanted his people to remember Passover. God wanted his people to remember Sinai. And now I think it's important for us to always remember that God wants us to remember the beginning of his church there at Pentecost. And it's important to remember because the story of what happened in Acts 2, it continues even today. You see, the story didn't end in Acts chapter 28. It continues on in our lives as well. I had a Bible professor when I was in school. Many of you may remember his name. It was Dr. John Willis. And Dr. Willis would say over and over again that when we read about people in the Bible, we should not consider them as larger-than-life Bible characters They were just ordinary people, just like you and me. They just happened to be around when the Bible was being written. And I like that. Because that feeds into the second story that I want to share with us today. It begins not so far away, pretty close to here, on the campus of what was then called the Agricultural and Mechanical College of Texas. The year was 1921. And if you look here at this, the map of the campus, you can see that that the campus back then looked a lot different than it does today. Although there are some places that are familiar, you can notice the the train track that runs on the west side, that's, that's still here, okay? We still hear that train roaring through the campus. You can probably pick out the academic building. If you look way over there on the left, you can probably see Sabisa. But this is where our story begins. And it begins in 1921. Now, For the Texas A&M family, 1921 represents the beginning of the best college football tradition in the land. 
the 12th man. You see, we've all heard about E. King Gill. And E. King Gill was part of the 1921 Texas A&M football team. Well, he really liked playing basketball better than football, so kind of at the end of the football season, he decided that he would go and start practicing for the basketball team, and so he left the team. But when A&M played in the Dixie Classic, he was up in the press box helping to spot the players down on the field. But it turns out that a lot of the players started getting hurt, and so Coach Dana X Bible. He knew that E. King Gill was up there in the press box, and so he sent word for him to come down and to get ready in case they needed him to go out on the field and play. And so E. King Gill came down, he took off his press box clothes, and he put on, and I hate to say this, the sweaty uniform of an injured player, and he went out on the field and stood on the sideline. He never got to play, but he was ready to go in. And we Aggies love this story. It took place in 1921. But you see, 1921 is also really important for our church family as well. The story of the AM Church of Christ begins with the arrival of a young, new faculty member in the fall of 1921. His name was A.D. Martin. Now, as I was doing research, something that occurred to me is that so many people back then, they didn't really go by their names. They just went by their initials. And so there was A.D. and there was J.H. or there was uh, D.K. This was A.D. Martin. I found out that his first name was Albert. His second name was Dow, but he just went by A.D. Martin. On September the 7th, this was 100 years ago, last Tuesday. On September the 7th, A.D. Martin received a telegram from the A&M College of Texas. And at that time, he was teaching math at Thorpe Springs Christian College near Granbury, Texas. Now, here is a picture of the letter that was sent to confirm the telegram. And if you're close enough, you might be able to read it. But if you're like me, you probably need to have it read to you. It says, this is to confirm my telegram of this day, which reads as follows. Subject to immediate acceptance by wire, you have been appointed assistant professor of mathematics. Listen to this. Annual salary, $2,000. And then, just in case there's not any unrealistic expectations, it says... No house available. This letter was written by Dean Charles Purrier. Martin got this letter and evidently he packed his bags and he left his Christian college faculty assignment where he taught math and he and his families moved to Brazos County. Now, 
You can go back online and you can actually read newspapers. You can read the battalion of 1921. This is the battalion newspaper, September 23rd, 1921. If you look back about the third page of this newspaper, this battalion, you can see an article that says, Welcome New Faculty Members. And they're listed in the new faculty members on campus. We see A.D. Martin. He got his B.S., which I assume is his Bachelor of Science degree, at Gunter Bible College. Okay? He got his A.B. Now, I'm confused. I don't really know what an A.B. is. The best that I can do in doing my research is that some colleges chose to say A.B. instead of B.A. for Bachelor of Arts. So I'm assuming this is his Bachelor of Arts degree. He got it from Texas Christian University. And he was assigned a position as assistant professor of mathematics at A&M. We don't know when he got here. School opened up in 1921. This was on the battalion newspaper, welcoming everyone back. So I'm assuming it looked similar to that back then when, when A.D. Martin arrived. As he got there, he likely learned that it was rare for any cadet at that time to be part of a church assembly on Sundays. The closest town was Bryan, and that was five miles. Now, for us today in a car, five miles isn't that great. You know, it's not that big of a deal. But for a cadet living on Texas A&M at that time, that was a long road from here to Bryan. As far as we know, in 1921, there wasn't even a Church of Christ meeting in Bryan. I don't know how he found out. Perhaps he, he found out fairly soon after he got here that, that on Sunday, some cadets from other Christian traditions would meet together for worship in one of the rooms on campus, most likely the YMCA building. And I imagine that he began looking for other people of restoration movement heritage that would want to meet together with him and his family on campus on Sundays. And my guess is that he found a few. And in 1921, they started meeting together with Lena, his wife, and maybe their children in his mathematics classroom in the academic building for the rest of that school year. And records show that one year later, for the 1922-1923 academic year, that as the students were registering for school, this year, after having been with A.D. Martin for a year, five students registered to be part of the Church of Christ group at Texas A&M. And they met together on Sundays, 
mostly at the academic building and occasionally at the agriculture building. We read in 1925, four years after he arrived here on campus, President, uh, sorry, Professor Martin and his cadets were able to move from the math classroom where they had been meeting for the past several years. They were invited to move and begin worshiping at the YMCA building on the second floor. And they were there for the next 10 years. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but occasionally someone will ask, why is it that the A&M Church of Christ is called the A&M Church of Christ when it's so far away from Texas A&M? Well, you can answer them now. It's because for the first 14, 15 years of our church's history, we were actually on campus, the campus of Texas A&M. And so we are the A&M Church of Christ. During those years, the number of cadets participating each Sunday began to grow. And they began to pray, asking God to provide a permanent building near the campus where students and faculty could gather for worship and for fellowship. So during those years, God began to work on the hearts of many individuals who saw the need of establishing a strong and lasting spiritual presence near the largest agricultural university in the world. It's a long story, and I won't go into it now, but A.D. Martin eventually met Bessie Woodward. Now, Bessie Woodward and her husband had a huge impact on our church. Bessie Woodward's husband was a very good businessman. And he invested in this oil venture you may have heard of. It's called Spindletop. It was very wise. And Bessie Woodward was a woman of God, and she wanted to use the windfall of all the oil money that came from Spindletop to bless the kingdom of God. And so she and her family, they had a huge impact on children's homes around the state of Texas. And when A.D. Martin had a chance to talk to her, he told her about the incredible opportunity that we have as Christians on the campus of Texas A&M College at that time. And Bessie Woodward was intrigued. She caught the vision. They were able to purchase a piece of land on a, on a lot that was on College Main Road. It was the main artery from the campus of Texas A&M to Bryan on College Main, the corner of College Main and Church Street. Church Street was a gravel road which got its name Church Street because the ba Baptist, the Methodist, and the Catholic church buildings were all built on that road as well. And Bessie Woodward then also was able to come up with $35,000 to build 
a building. And construction began in 1935, and the first worship assembly in this new building was on October 27, 1935. Now, this structure, the new building, was designed by Professor Ernest Langford. Have you ever heard, been on Langford Street lately? Yeah. Professor Ernest Langford, who was the dean of the architecture school, and he later became mayor of College Station. And he was, he was there at the opening assembly, and he said this about the building he designed. He said it was patterned after New England meeting places of the Pilgrim area. The building had a brick exterior, a 210-seat auditorium, and a 65-foot steeple, a library, and a preacher's residence. Professor Martin was also one of the speakers there at the opening ceremony there of the building. And in a newspaper article telling about this day, it says that he gave the packed crowd, many visiting from out of town, a brief history of the work that had grown from that initial gathering of four students to their current number, 125 cadets. That same year, 1935, R.B. Sweet moved to College Station to become the first full-time preacher of the A&M Church of Christ. And one of the things that attracted, they called him Brother Sweet, one of the things that attracted Brother Sweet was that the Texas A&M administration had a, just approved the teaching of certain courses in religious education that cadets could take as elective credit towards their degree. And so Brother Sweet taught the life of Christ in the fall, every fall and every spring he would teach historical books of the Old Testament for college credit. So in addition to his Sunday preaching, he could preach. He used this building every week to teach these classes to cadets at the building. A.D. Martin, Bessie Woodward, R.B. Sweet. Like we saw in Acts 2, these were people just like you and just like me, just just living life, but living life on mission. Each one of them had found hope in Christ Jesus, and each one was living a life of purpose. And I go back and I say again, stories are powerful and important tools for developing our identity and shaping our character. R.B. Sweet. He came to be a preacher at the AM church, the first one. And, and for me, that wasn't a real big deal. I, I would have thought that there were lots of preachers that would have really loved to come and to preach at that building. But I read this letter that Bessie Woodward wrote to A.D. Martin. And they were. Bessie was talking about a preacher that they thought would be interested in coming to preach, but he decided not to. Here's what she wrote to A.D. Martin. He is a good man, talking about this one who 
decided not to come and has a wonderful wife and both are fine workers. He amused me somewhat. He seemed to think he would be submerged or lost to the preaching world by going there. I could not see it as he did. I thought it was an opportunity few of our preachers are privileged to enjoy and a chance to do missionary work that would eventually reach the farthest corners of the earth. The boys go out from that school and fill positions in almost every walk of life. He was also fearful of the future. Who would be responsible for his salary in case of my death? God will take care of me if I serve him faithfully and trust him for his promises. You see, the fact that R.B. Sweet came as a preacher to our church was an act of faith for him. And I began to realize that when they passed the collection plate on Sundays, there wasn't a whole lot of money being put into it with just college students. And yet he came anyway, and what an impact he made. Bessie Woodward, a woman of God, a woman of faith, a woman that God used to have such an impact on us. She was a visionary, as you can tell in her letter. She was blessed with material resources, but rather than seeking a legacy of status and the accumulation of more and more, she had this this vision of the potential blessing a church might have being right next to a state college and what impact it could have on the kingdom of God in this area and around the world. And I think of A.D. Martin. He was just a math teacher. Oh, but he was much more than that. He came with a vision. He came with a vision of what God could do through the students that were attending this state college. He had a vision for providing college students a faith community with fellowship and teaching and worship. And, and he left the security and the comfort of a strong community of faith that he was living there in there at Thorpe Springs. <clears throat> he had the crazy idea to start a church on a state college campus. And this is a church that continues to provide spiritual blessings that we enjoy today. You know, on that day, thinking back to Acts 2, I doubt the 120 men and women who were gathered in Jerusalem waiting as Jesus had instructed, who were filled with the Holy Spirit and whose lives changed and they went out. They had no idea what we can see today. They were just ordinary people like you and me, living out our calling and our faith. A.D. Martin passed away in 1939 at the age of 57. 
It was only four years after the new building had opened. And I'm confident that he had no idea the impact his decision made to even us today. A decision to teach math at a state college in 1921. And the ripple effect is what we're experiencing right now. Something I learned this week was that A.D. Martin and his family are buried here in the Bryan City Cemetery. When I learned this, I had to hurry up and go find my dad. I went to my dad's house. I said, Dad, get dressed. We're going out. And he says, where are we going? <clears throat> I said, we're going grave hunting. <laughs> he had to adjust his hearing aids because he didn't know that I was saying what I said. So we went to the Bryan City Cemetery, and we walked around searching, and we came upon this grave. The grave of A.D. Martin. We stood there, both of us taking in, soaking in the impact. The impact of a man who lived only 57 years. But his vision impacts all of us here today. Oh, I wish he could be here with us. I wish he could celebrate a hundred years with us. But he and his wife, Lena, were no different than us today. They were just ordinary people who found hope in Jesus. And that hope that they had in Jesus, it changed everything. And every day they lived with purpose and sacrifice. You see, stories are powerful. And they're important tools for developing identity and shaping our character. And I want us to ask ourselves today, and I hope the Holy Spirit is asking you this as well in your own heart, what story are you living into? What story is shaping your life? What is your purpose when you wake up every morning? Oh, we're going, to, we're going to end with a song. The song is Because He Lives. And really, the words of this song are a great expression of this hope. Because He lives, it changes everything. Because He lives, we have hope. And because He lives, we have purpose. I hope that all of us will respond to God's word this morning. But if you would like to talk further about the hope that we have in Jesus, if you'd like to discuss what it means to be immersed in his name, what it means to live each day for him, if you'd like to find ways that you can get plugged in and be part of the great things that God continues to do a century later in this church family, we would love to talk to you. I'll be down here at the front during the singing of this song, and then later I will be in the Welcome Center, and I'd love to visit. So let's be standing right now, and let's sing this song reflecting on the words, Because He Lives.